Welcome to State of Us, Election 2020, Joe's uh, politics show looking at all things around the general election. I'm here with the uh, very ill Carl Kinsler, who could get sick at any moment, and uh, Ellen Coyne, who's been to two uh, party manifesto launches today, so God knows what is wrong with you. <laughs> I mean, the whingers that I hear every week saying, there's nothing happening. Well, all of the protesters that I have seen before uh, seem to have extremely expensive phones, tablets, uh, video cameras, and other... Sorry, sorry. It's more like um, a very trendy kind of boutique hotel type place, right? Please. Fuck you, Deputy Stike. Fuck eight, you. Eight, eight. There's a very simple false assumption of Richard saying that I am a wealthy man. I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't necessarily assume that if I were you. Ask my bank manager. When it comes to Sinn Féin and the rule of law and public order Deputy and condemning violence, it doesn't take very long for your balaclava to slip. Up the Republic, up the rebels, and it's Chucky Arlaw. Control yourself. Control yourself. Yes, it is only week two <laughs> of oh the election campaign. This is like the Bizarro World Cup. You know the way the World Cup, you're like, never end. Keep going. I can't believe this is going to come to an end. This is the exact opposite. It's like, this is, I was writing the notes, this was going, can't only be week two, but this is the first full week of the campaign. And it began, we seemed like we were actually, it was almost like you could believe that this was going to be interesting. This was going to be exciting. There was a poll, the poll last weekend, Sunday Times, Behaviour and Attitudes polls had Fianna Gael in trouble. They dropped 12 points. That followed up by another poll in the Irish Times, which said they had dropped their poll. They dropped six points since October, and Sinn Féin were up seven points. And it was like, yes, this is exciting. <laughs> this is something we can all get wound up about. And then what happened? Then what happened? We were exposed to the people who will lead Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> and suddenly, suddenly, once that debate began... On Wednesday night, which seems like, you know, months ago now, <laughs> and it seemed like even longer in the process, and you were both were there, and I, again, I extend my deepest compassion <laughs> to both of you. But once that debate began, it was like, it was like being, it was like being on a long train journey when you have an empty seat, and then somebody sits down beside you and starts talking to you about, you know, their Victorian spoon collection. <laughs> and like, you're going to have to do three hours of this. And I wonder, can we ever recover? Will we ever see the glad, confident morning that was, you know, the time before we had to watch Leah Varadkar and Michal Martin uh, speak on what they will do if, if they lead the country for the next five years? We've had the manifesto launches since then, and uh, nobody expects them to inject any excitement into the campaign. But Alan Coyne, head of politics, what do you think at this stage is the state of the campaign? I mean, like, at the start of that debate, it was almost like starting, like, a really amazing Netflix series and accidentally watching the last episode and finding out how it ends. I think it was within 10 minutes, like, Leo Varadkar was like, yeah, go in with Fianna Fáil. And I was like, well, okay, so can we just skip? Like, at this point in time, I feel like anybody who isn't, like, super, like, hyped up about either a Fianna Fáil government or a Fine Gael government is just waiting to find out who will sacrifice themselves to go into coalition with them. I think that at this stage of the campaign, um, the initial fervour has very much died down. I think you slightly alluded to that in mm. your intro. Um, and you basically have, like, the skeleton of it. So you can see very clearly Fine Gael are sticking with this Brexit thing, um, I'm not going to mention the analogy they keep using because I know you hate it. <laughs> Fianna Fáil are like the country is absolutely seething. Health and um, housing are in absolute shambles. 
shambles um, and Fine Gael are shallow media obsessives who need to be kicked out. Uh, Fine Gael are saying um, Fianna Fáil will put all your money in a big pile and burn it uh, like while holding cigars and whiskey and stuff. Um, and that's basically it. And anything that happens from now on is just going to be an extension of those arguments Um unless there's some other surprise like the pension issue or crime that came up in week one. There is a, a, an idea um, like from sort of the Fina Gale side of things that like whatever bounce, uh, and I don't think actually calling it a bounce would be kind of harsh on things that actually bounce, but <laughs> yeah. uh, whatever Fianna Fáil have got at the start of this campaign can't sustain itself because... It's just more of a twitch, more, yeah. more, of, a twitch. Yeah, more of a little <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, involuntary <laughs> yeah, movement. Yeah. Um, but whatever it is, it can't sustain it because all they have is Mihal Martin, uh, and they don't have anything beyond that. And you know, like you know, that's uh, like that's not a huge selling point even to begin with. Carl, you you've uh, you've probably immersed yourself in in this election in a way you haven't done before like what are your initial what's your initial view of it and how do you see how do you feel it's actually in, it, people are engaging with it well it's been great to delve into the world of political correspondency it's uh it's always been a dream of mine to to join the ranks of the irish political corps and uh now i'm there and one day you see this is funny because one day you will actually you probably end up as like an advisor to oh you know, don't you know, say the that that's, 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 that's a new socialist communist yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 even worse yeah. it won't be even a socialist communist no it'll yeah like, it'll be know, somehow, the, the, somehow the, yeah, I'll end up yeah. progressive democrats will yeah. be relaunched yeah, yeah, yeah. with Carl yeah. Kinsler that's it Michael McDowell will make a comeback and somehow I'll be like there you're like forget about all that stuff confused about how I ended up in the role as director but yeah I mean like you say it's amazing because when the election was first called it was like wow only 24 days until the election you know this is going to be such a quick turnaround and now it's you know we're maybe 10 days into and it's like how am I not dead already you know uh, yeah it's been it's been slow going and definitely I think time time itself was warped by the debate on uh, on Wednesday uh, I think we ended up in a situation where you know like Alan says we had Leo Varadkar immediately rolling over and playing dead and saying, oh yeah, coalition, no problem. Michal Martin doesn't have to do that because he's in a situation where the polls, like you say, you know, whether it's a bounce or a twitch, the polls are being more friendly to Fianna Fáil at the minute. So they don't have to, uh, they don't have to pander to the Fianna Gael audience at all and say that there needs to be a coalition. So I mean, yeah, obviously Fianna, Fianna Fáil in a stronger, stronger place at the moment. You know, it's been, it hasn't been the most interesting of weeks, but Things are looking good for for Michal Martin at least right now. But do you think we we uh, like we're experiencing well, like most people as uh, you know as in any country in any election don't pay any attention at this stage. You know they they yeah. uh, they pay very little attention, yeah, yeah. and they're probably aware. You know they've watched the big debates and that kind of stuff. But like that sense of uh, you know uh, two leaders who that that nobody is really excited by. Like is that something that is reflected in a broader in around the country do you think or is it something that you know when you t- go onto twitter uh and you, you turn on the debate and you see that coming back at you is only is only representative of a very small uh, cohort yeah, well so I, I was down in omni shopping center in santry today mm. uh for the second time in two days what uh, happened to, to you why were you there yesterday first time i was trying to find leo varadkar turns out he wasn't there he was ill then yeah he was you didn't catch the bug yeah, from leo varadkar yeah I, well, that's it'd be good thing. if you were actually getting know, so close yeah. to politics, <laughs> yeah, politicians yeah. Now, that would though. be a great thing to put on my cv it's like yeah. i followed him so closely yeah. that yeah. i 
I caught, caught the vomiting bug. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, so I was down there yesterday. I thought he'd be there. He wasn't. Um, that's why I'm not. Or that's why I'm more of a failed political correspondent <laughs> than an actual political correspondent. But no, he was there today, and there actually was a decent amount of excitement. Uh, which you know, like as someone who spends a lot of time on social media, you know, it is it is almost surprising to get out into the real world and yeah. see the positive reception that the you know the seemingly unpopular politicians can get uh like the story you told last week about the woman in the in the cafe who you know wanted a selfie with the Taoiseach and didn't necessarily wasn't going to vote for him you know i think you could be seeing the same thing in in the omni shopping center as well you know like none of the people who interacted with him seemed to be engaged on any kind of they, they weren't interested in the politics of it they just wanted the picture with the the tall handsome Taoiseach and he is very tall and very handsome uh, almost disappointingly so it's kind of shocking to have such a handsome T-Shock. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he is very handsome. But he, like, there's... someone from Fine Gael is listening to this. They're going to think they're on like psychedelics or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no yeah. idea why Joe is like fawning over how <laughs> handsome Yeah, right yeah. There. I mean, like, I'm. You know, my problem. People's problems with Leo aren't that he's not handsome. You know, you, you can't take that. <laughs> away, you can't take that away from him. Um, you know, and I'm, so I'm just not going to try. Uh, but as far as like the, there was excitement there to see him. You know, people people gathered around. You know, kids were excited by him. So that was interesting. They were less excited by Noel Rock, but like, I mean, who can? It's good to get you yeah, know, pull yeah. us away from the Finnegan <laughs> yeah, in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, Ellen, like that debate though did like did seem to sum up something. Whether it is reflective of, and it does seem to be reflective of something broader, because you look at the Irish Times poll, and one of the I think beyond the, the top line figures, one of the key problems for Finnegan is that is is the uh, figure that seventy five percent of people want a change of government. Mm -hmm. So like that is seems to me to be the key stat that is going to make it very hard for them to be back in power when people actually go to vote. But looking at that uh, debate, like you, you last week and I would have been broadly on the same side as you on that were were saying that like, you know, this has to be the debate we have because these are the two people who are going to be Taoiseach. How did you feel watching it? Did you think I, I hold to that view or were you were you wavering? Like on paper, it's wrong, but in political reality, it's right because they're just like I tried to. We did an interview with Mio and Martin this week, and I tried to put to him like if you look, if you break down into the figures of the Irish Times poll, it's very obvious that Sinn Fein is very popular with young people, people from eighteen to thirty-four, and Finnegan and Fall aren't. I think they hover at about sixteen percent, mm. and I think Sinn Fein is on thirty, if that maths is right. Um, and I was saying like, isn't it just super disrespectful to young voters, the people that you and Leo Radker are desperately trying to engage to? basically decide at the start of the election that Mary Lou Macdonald can't win. But then, like, doing my interview with Mary Lou Macdonald, I kind of got the vibe, and Sinn Féin would contest this, that it suits them down to the ground to be able to sit out of government, claim that the establishment is locking them out, um, that, you know, Labour and the Greens are all the same. And the fact of the matter is, if Mary Lou was at that debate it wouldn't have added to it because she would have been in the best position to criticise both of them without any of them coming back to her. Yes, the debate felt interminable. Yes, at some points I did like personally doze off. But there actually was like at some points a very tenacious exchange of ideas, like of they were basically both doing a Paxman on each other on their policies mm. in great depth and great detail and it didn't verge into personal and I think that When was that? Remind me. <laughs> well mm. the first half of the debate like I think that uh, they were really good on each other on health mm. I think that the pensions issue was quite good as well Um 
the housing ones, I yeah. thought they were pretty forensic with each other's detail. And yes, I might get cancelled for this, but the fact of the matter, if Mary Lou was there, she would have just said, you both failed and you're both the same. We know that already. And yes, I know we're not like thrilled by the thought of a Fianna Fáil or a Fianna Gael government, but half the half the electorate, I should say, supports them. So so this is the kind of the, the Fianna Fáil sort of position that they have to assume the responsible mm-hmm. role over yes. the last yeah. last yeah. four years. Uh and that they have done, they have, they have sacrificed they did the, right the, the right thing from the from the point of view of the country. Yeah. And if we can't find any, Carl, you would have written about this. Like you saw that, and you thought, like these are two people who one has propped up the other. Yeah. So, like, how is like what is what is the conflict? Where is the dramatic tension well, in this well, debate? For me, it's not even about the dramatic tension. Although I would like some more dramatic tension. But I mean, if you have the previous four years, we've had Fianna Fáil propping up Fianna Gael. Eight minutes into the interview, we had Leo Varadkar saying that Fianna Gael are happy to prop up Fianna Fáil. So I think you're in a situation where people who do want change are going to be extremely disappointed by exchanges like that. And after after that's said and done, the rest of the debate to me just felt like the two sides cataloguing each other's mistakes, which for me is less about... You know, that doesn't say anything really about what your party is going to do differently. You know, it's not based on, it's not a foundational ideological sort of argument. It's just, oh, you made this mistake with health and you made this mistake with education. It's not you think about this the wrong way or it's not your ideas are wrong. It's just that your execution is maybe corrupted or broken in some kind of minor way. And they don't really give any indication of like, oh, this is the reason, like Michal Martin won't say, Fina Gale did this process wrong step one two three four five from first principles this is why it didn't work he'll just say Fine Gael made this one mistake and we won't make that mistake and Leo Varadkar counters and says yeah but you made a, a different mistake and I think people don't learn anything from that so while it's possible that had say Mary Lou or whomever else not been uh, whether they had been there you know it probably would have just been the same you know it would be like Ellen says it would be Mary Lou saying like, well you're both failures but is, uh, that, is, that, is that part of the, the problem with again power versus protest in the sense that like you know because they both have they both have track records of you know uh, of varying degrees of 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 failure to go to 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 go to the people with that they they were always going to be judged on them whereas as as Ellen said Sinn Féin cannot can just offer opposition and say this is what we will do yeah I think it is it is a bit of that but it is also just on the main stage an absence of different ideas you know Mm. like at the end of the day you're not you know like if you plot out an ideological spectrum or whatever at the end of the day you're just looking at arguments (laughs) within a very very narrow parameter yeah Uh, so like I don't think it's great that you have a even though like like I say it would have been probably a shit show no matter who was on stage and the debates with seven uh, the seven party leaders they're going to be a shit show but the fact fact is if I think it is important that the public does get to hear ideas from outside the parties that you know supposedly the other half of the electorate do want to change from okay so when we talk about radical ideas I think we probably had uh, the most radical uh, well there's some somebody with ideas uh, I don't think I don't think it was even I was yeah. we, we, we you know we're talking about Susan McHugh we're talking about the interview uh, Alan did with her um, which seemed to, you know, capture the, all uh, the imagination of everybody on yes. all sides of, of the debate. Um, and there were one or two lines of particular jumped out of people. We might just hear one of them now. I'd say what my ideal country would be. It would be no state. It would be devolved communities organising themselves. But I feel that in the situation we're in, we have to get involved in politics. Um, not least because... 
I think we're so far away from <clears throat> revolution. And even though I'd be like holding out, sharpening the guillotine. Sharpen the guillotine. Um, the Greens were expected to uh, make a lot of gains in like, you know, middle class areas, uh, you know, in this election, <laughs> because, you know, there is a, an appetite for, you know, real action on climate. Uh, how do you think that's, uh, you know, the sharpening the guillotine line has gone down in, in those uh, demographics? So I got one text from a Green Party source during the week asking me if I was um, like a sleeper agent for Fine Gael. Because, Again? Yeah, exactly. Because, um, yeah, apparently suggesting that you want to kill the rich has gone down very badly with rich people in Dublin. Um, and I think that there was a beautiful tweet that I got during the week from, as like, as I said, some people were like, sign me up to the commune, I will die, die for Saoirse. And there's a lot of people who are very afraid of guillotines. And somebody sent me a message and was like, I just think, you know, the use of the word guillotine is completely inappropriate. And then added beautifully with no kind of self-awareness, um, especially from the Greens or any sort of party with a revolutionary agenda. <laughs> so, like, I think people need to understand, as far as I can discern, Saoirse McHugh does not possess a guillotine. Mm. Eamon Ryan is not going to be climbing into windows in Dublin South and eating rich people if they go into coalition <laughs> with Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael. I think it's an expression. It's a very common expression used by uh, young people mm. on the Internet. And I think, you know, there was... Yeah, okay, there was a bit of a negative response, but if she had made remarks that were radical at the other side of the political spectrum, I feel like she'd have a program on News Talk by now. Well, I think there was. Yeah, I I felt that a little bit of the reaction was just uh, this, you know, rigid sort of like uh, third-rate sort of response to anybody who who generally who puts forward ideas. Like yeah. the thing you got from Susan McHugh, whatever you feel about them, was this is somebody who is thinking about things, who is Deeply. yeah, who is in, who is engaged and who offers a vision. Uh, whether you, whatever side of you, you you belong, but this idea then that we're going to actually take her literally on a comment like the guillotine uh, um, is is kind of just it's 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 you know it's doing a disservice to everything that you should be claiming that you want politics to be about because it's like okay we know this isn't really we know this is flippant we know this is a facetious line but if we seize upon this we can then dismiss everything, everything else that yeah. she says. I mean, like, it's just, at the end of the day, it was purely metaphorical. Uh, it's not a real guillotine. It's just a metaphorical guillotine. And, like, it is it is frustrating because at the end of the day, you do have that generational thing of, like, if you spend, you know, as I do, too much time on Twitter, words like guillotine and phrases like eat the rich are tossed about pretty <laughs> willy-nilly. And, you know, like, whether right or wrong, they are... Whether eating the rich is right or wrong. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No matter, you know, whatever your stance is on eating the rich. Like, I mean, the fact is we're not in 16th century France. You know, mm. like people are not going to be dragged from their homes and, you know, burned at some kind of wicker man festival by Sir, in Ackle by Saoirse McHugh or whatever. Although that would be kind of cool. But like, that aside, <laughs> I'm losing my train of thought here. But no, like, yeah, what I'm saying is that, you know, for and I think it's, it is disingenuous, especially for um, people in the media, like young writers in the media who do know better to uh, act as though those words are meant literally. I think that is just so misleading and so frustrating because, I mean, you have, you know, like you have so much benefit of the doubt given to better established parties and older people, mm. you know, like older people and people who have served in the doll for a long time can afford slips of the tongue. 
uh, and this wasn't even a slip of the tongue. Like, it is literally just an expression. And it's an interesting expression. You know, it gives a bit of life and a bit of, uh, you know, it's evocative. And I think we can all agree that it was not meant in a violent way. So I think for to have a candidate who is a bit poetic and a bit romantic about her ideals is, you know, like, we should absolutely welcome that. Well, I think the other thing that's uh, worth pointing out, Ellen, is that this was a piece about, uh, like, the over one of the themes of it was to explore the necessity to go into politics versus protest. And so it was within that context that Saoirse was talking. Exactly. Like we think we just thought it was really important to go and talk to somebody, particularly coming from a green perspective, about whether or not if you're on the left, it's better to be ideologically pure from the outside or go into the inside and actually try to change it. And I mean, I think it's it's important to point out as well that she prefaced those remarks by saying my ideal. Mm. And I think as Carol kind of said, if we got an insight into the absolute political ideal of some of the people who are already elected in the Dáil, I'm sure if you thought that would be absolutely horrific as well. Like mm. It's probably some, in your ideal world is very different to the one that you're operating in. And I think the fact that she's even running as a TD shows that she's conscious of that because she doesn't believe in the state. So like yeah. she doesn't want to be, you know, her dream job is not being a TD in the Dáil. Mm. That in itself shows that she's willing to compromise and work within the system. Um, I mean, I have no reason to believe that she's going to go in and start dismantling Leinster House brick by brick if such okay. when she gets in. Good. I was going to say good, but I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's keep, let's keep the know, status quo. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. I am neut- I am objective and <laughs> neutral on whether you should dismantle Leinster House brick yeah. by brick. It's uh, a beautiful building. There's it's no, a lovely no building. building. It's a lovely building. <laughs> um, but it does also, again, that thing we're talking about, like, that you know, that we we put that out the, the day of the leaders' debate, mm-hmm. uh, and you couldn't you couldn't hope for a greater kind of counterpoint in in who it energised and and how it energised those people with what came later. And this, to me, is kind of one of the uh, stories of the kind of of the election. This sense of the established political parties, especially Fine Gael, uh, not really getting what people. You know that are certainly a huge demographic are are concerned by and energized by, and Sirisha McHugh, who may not even be elected, uh, is, rep- is speaking for them. Like, and this is this is something that I think is going to be an issue, you know, going forward as well. I mean, Alan, Alan earlier on you mentioned something that might get you cancelled, so I'm going to go with something that might get me cancelled here and say that final like, episode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Both arrested by the end of it. But like, so for example, we know candidates can run in constituencies that aren't their own. It seems like it would have been much, much more sensible that if Saoirse McHugh wanted to get into Dáil and that she would have run in Dublin. Mayo is an extremely strong Fine Gael base. Enda Kenny is from there. His father's from there. They have Michael Ring, who's responsible for this great road between, I think, between Castlebar and Westport. You know, like, it's a really strong Fine Gael territory. Why not run somewhere that I did? Like, you know, like, there are places where, you know, the Sock Dems will win seats, where, Indo- like, liberal Indo- or left-wing independents will win seats, why not run in Dublin? Uh, I think if she if she wanted to win, uh, she probably should have done that. But Isn't rich it? people are in Dublin. Yeah, yeah. Something <laughs> to do with her chickens or something. Yeah, she doesn't want to be far from her chickens either on is that what Island. It is? Yeah, I mean, but I can't argue with that. I don't know. Like she, I don't like. I think it would be like better. It would be such a coup for the Green Party to have a candidate like that in Mayo. Yeah, I think. Yeah. What are her chances of she, getting elected? I really don't know. Like that constituency, as you said, Enda Kenny isn't there now, and yeah. there's like a few Finnegal candidates, so it's hard to know which way it would go. Yeah. I'd say Lisa Chambers is pretty. Wait, it's, two, it's divided into two, I think. So I'm not actually sure. Your right. man um, Alan Dillon is running there, and he's yeah. like a two-time All Star for Mayo. So yeah. like, although I mean, he's not doing any interviews at all. Oh really? 
Okay. Yeah, but he took down Michelle Mulhern's posters. That's the extent of what I know. Well, very in depth analysis. If you want the real in depth analysis <laughs> yeah, of yeah. the Mayo constituency or constituencies, <laughs> who knows? Yeah, could yeah, go, yeah. go someplace else. <laughs> So I think it's just one. I think it's just one. Okay, I think we'll, Mayo just, just we'll have one. Move on from that. Um, so yeah, we so we also uh, we we you know in 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 the you know reaching out to young people across you know uh, across the parties, we also had uh, Owen Murphy in this week. Uh, Carl, just Sorry, yeah, steady Owen. yourself. Another you know another. You, I think you would other concede. Are you, you're not going to get sick, are you? No. Um, <laughs> another good-looking Fine Gael, uh top top I, operative. I, I can't see it with him. He, really? I guess it might just be uh, not my type kind of thing. But right. like, I don't know. I, I for me, he doesn't he doesn't do it. Okay. Uh, but anyway, he was in. And <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was going to disagree with you there, but I was like, I'm really not in the mood to put up. A, you know, like an I'm not saying yeah. anything. I'm not making an how yeah. good looking Owen Murphy is. Um, but we, we, anyway, he came in, and again, we, when you go back to the Irish Times poll, like 32 percent of people stress that the top, the top issue, the main issue they'll be voting on is housing. Between housing and health, is 72 percent of people. That's or 72 percent. Uh, that's what they're going to vote on. And Owen Murphy is the lightning rod for every bit of anger about housing. And we might play uh, play a little bit from that interview you did, Alan, and when he was asked about you know, try, you know the difficulties he'd experienced uh, trying to find somewhere to live. How did that make you feel when you were struggling to find somewhere to rent? It's really stressful. It's really stressful if you're trying to balance a job. But were you housing else. minister at the time? Yes, yeah, I was. Um, you know, you're trying to do your job, you're, you're, you're working hard, you've got every hour of the day is taken up. Like, I don't have kids yet, so I didn't have to, to worry about that aspect of things. So I was looking in that... You know, I'm, I'm living with a friend, so he was looking for the place to live, so he was able to help with that. Um, but it is stressful. Of course it is. I mean, I know it's stressful. I have friends in the same situation as well. They're either looking for a place to rent or looking for a place to buy, and they're finding it tough because we haven't built enough homes yet. Um, that's uh, Owen Murphy talking about his own difficulties finding somewhere to rent. Ellen, were people broadly sympathetic about the two? No. Um, I mean, I was saying earlier in the week, one of the great joys about um, working in a visual medium where you appear in videos is that you're very immune to sexist comments. People are like, shut up, you stupid bitch, even if I just come on a microphone and breathe. But uh, in that video, I think that was one of the only times where we post a video online where I was in it. And Owen Murphy was so universally unpopular that he actually surmounted misogyny. Nobody had the time to talk about what a stupid bitch I was because they were so angry at Owen Murphy. And in one sense, like, Carl, you were talking about your own kind of failings as a political correspondent. I know that I'm not a good political journalist because even listening to that, I felt bad. Mm. Like, the housing market is in such a state, he was kind of screwed whatever way he answered because, first of all, to be a housing minister who's struggling to rent is just so Ireland 2020, the fact that he struggled to find a place. But then if he'd said that he he hadn't struggled, it would be like he was a little princess in an ivory tower. Mm. Like it's it's just I just was kind of surprised that Finnegale didn't have a better line prepared because I think it's kind of well known that Owen Murphy is a renter. There's a rental crisis. There's also an election. So I kind of thought. But what can they say in this situation? Because, you know, it's a bit. It's not about me. Let's focus on the people who are struggling. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Because like Leo Varadkar, when he answered his question, which again went down. Uh, like a ton of bricks. Like a ton of bricks about, you know, open, you know getting the key to his own house. Yeah. When he was 24. Um, like he tried to come out and clarify it by saying that he was hoping that he was what he was trying to say was he wanted everyone yeah. else to get into, inspired. To get into well, this, you know, get into this position. Like maybe the fact is when a crisis gets bad enough, there actually is no correct PR friendly answer. Mm. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, I think what Fine Gael are kind of coming to accept is that there is no way they can talk their way around 
the housing crisis because like like you say like Owen Murphy I actually have no doubt that he struggled to find somewhere to rent because I have friends who do earn a lot more money than I do um, who also struggle to, mm. to find places to rent it's bad for literally everyone unless you are a multi-millionaire mm. you know the fact is that you'd be better off living in almost any other city in the world so the fact is Owen Murphy's going to struggle to find a place to rent and that's his honest answer and that should tell him all he needs to know the amazing thing the more amazing thing about Owen Murphy is not that he struggles to find a place to rent it's that he wants to remain housing minister for the next five years um, that's that's what I think about it um, but is this uh, Alan has this taken it can't have taken Fine Gael by surprise that housing would be this emotive issue because you know we touched upon this last week as well about how the you know, Radker talks in terms of statistics but everybody uh everybody is is caught up in the housing crisis like this is the thing that it is even more so uh not, not maybe not more so than health because everybody you know but on a day-to-day basis it oh, is yeah. it, it, is it is the is thing more, yeah that not just you know among young people because it, it affects it affects uh, young you know the parents of young people because they worry about where their kids are going to live like there you know there there are so many different ways that the housing crisis touches upon the lives of, of everybody and it seems to me that this is somehow caught Finnegan by surprise in this election. It hasn't. They just tried desperately to like divert to Brexit. Like even today with the manifestos, yeah. chapter one of Fine Gael is, Bre- is Brexit. The last chapter in Fianna Fáil's manifesto is Brexit. Um, and I think that you're right. Like I remember being covering the Raise the Roof demonstration outside Leinster House and meeting a woman who was like, could not have looked more Fine Gael, was like laden down with brown Thomas bags and actually came to like join in on the protest because she was fed up of, I think, her son and his fiance living in her house when mm. they should have been kind of off on their own. If you think about constituencies like Owen Murphy's in Dublin Bay South, there's lots of very swanky Finnegal houses there where people ha- are seeing like their young professional kids staying there for years mm. upon years upon years. I think it does on a daily basis affect more people than health, but there's no solid, like all that they can say and Leo Radker keeps saying is we should have done better. I'd like to continue if you'd please let me get it better. So all they can do is try and push the narrative onto economic sensibility even though the children's hospital you'd wonder and Brexit they can't make it about health and, ho- and homelessness as Fianna Fáil are because they've failed on those two policy areas but so but that is the thing that's going to keep coming back to them yeah. I don't know how they like I, we, I, I uh, for some reason I went to the Fine Gael manifesto launch mm-hmm. today as well and uh, have you been indoctrinated <laughs> I've been indoctrinated I actually had to drink two cups of coffee at the, simultaneously just to kind of drink, kickstart my system afterwards because I was in such a slump <laughs> uh, but but I was struck by that like I was struck by you know I know you don't want me I will mention it because it's just so terrible they have half time in Brexit is the first uh, and you know first line Simon Coveney's the deadline is in like seven days. I just don't. Simon Coveney said that you know people you know we don't want to drop the ball, so they actually switched from the <laughs> about one nil up to to a rugby metaphor, uh, <laughs> and like that's the, you know and they're trying to stress this and the economy as the overarching themes that will you know that that matter more than the details like health and housing mm-hmm. but that isn't unless mm. things change change massively among yeah. the electorate that isn't reflected in what they're talk in what they're interested in 3% of people yeah. going to that Irish Times poll 
consider consider Brexit the issue they're going to vote on. So I think they just backed themselves to be better at at uh, framing the narrative of the election. I think they thought they'd be able to make it about Brexit and make it about like overall more esoteric macroeconomic details. And P- I think they just didn't give the people enough credit to be honest. Like one thing you've heard a lot from them is that you know employment is at record high levels, and it's like oh well everything is shit, but at least we're working very hard. You know like people do, you know like people aren't happy that they have to work. You know like people obviously want jobs but the purpose of a job is to sustain things like housing paying for your health care paying for your child care so if you're working 40 hours a week and you still can't afford those things then you're not going to be happy with the message that oh well at least you have a job because your job is meaningless you can't pay for anything do you think they thought that the brexit thing because they played it in such a way and i actually think this is a is an argument against them being in charge for the next the next half of it, because they played it in such a way where they were tough with, with the British, they, you know, they played, they were, you know, standing up for Ireland's issues. Simon Coveney was going out talking about, you know, sometimes like talking to, you know, Boris Johnson is like talking to a six, you know, how I have to talk to my six year old daughter, this kind of stuff. Um, they played it tough in, in that sense. And they were getting a lot of, you know, respect and, and, you know, again, feeding into that sense of that nationalistic kind of rising uh, feeling. They were playing into that. They thought that would play for them, um, but it hasn't played for them. And if you want to say that it's about Brexit, I'm not sure that if you've done that for the first half of Brexit, if you're, you're the people that you can make the argument that, oh, now we're, we're, we're needed for the second half when we actually have to cozy up to Britain and make sure that they don't get a trade deal that is damaging to us economically. Well, why, Britain might be looking at Simon Coveney and say, well, you're the guy who's been slagging us off for three years. Yeah, I think what the government is trying to do is kind of trying to repeat on a massive scale what Simon Harris is doing on an individual scale, which is he picked a time when he was super popular and now he's like a little like feminist doctor man who keeps Mm. talking about women's issues at all times, despite the fact that like hospitals are in crisis. And because the government was super popular at the height of kind of all the when Brexit Brexit was at its worst and you even had people in the UK acknowledging that Ireland had played a diplomatic blinder and Simon Coveney came out as this amazing statesman uh, next to this kind of bumbling buffoon. They're just trying to recreate that and they just keep trying to say all the other stuff in the manifesto doesn't matter unless you get Brexit right because we won't be able to afford it. But I, I think that that kind of existential fear that people had about it has gone and maybe that means that Fine Gael called the election at the wrong time. Maybe it should have been a bit sooner when things were still in, when it felt like Brexit was still a bit more dangerous. So, the, you know, they, they are trying to, Brexit, it is actually, it's full time. It's full time in Brexit. Yeah, as far uh, as, as the far as the, narrative as far goes, as the public yeah, are, yeah. you know, if you're yeah. looking, as far as the public are and like if you like, and you know, yeah. like Brexit, you know, let's get Brexit done was the message Boris Johnson ran on, yeah. and uh, we probably all heard that we're we, you know, we absorb so much yes. from yeah. from yeah. from Britain that we kind of write, okay, it's done. Like we're not hearing it. We're actually not engaged with Brexit because you know it's not on our televisions anymore. Brexit season two or three or whatever it is is over for now. And I think everybody has kind of switched off from that. So they can't really engage people on that. And then the day-to-day stuff, and again, we keep coming back to this, housing, health. And we saw today with with the the story in the Irish Times as well about the National Children's Hospital. These things are going to be the events that keep threatening to derail Fine Gael. Yeah, and like I think that... um I think that that National Children's Hospital story could grow legs because Micheál Martin was going absolutely nuts about it in the Fianna Fáil event earlier on today. And that just drives 
it just t- totally destroys the economic responsibility argument, mm. um, which also not only destroys the platform they're putting forward for themselves, it also destroys the attack that they're trying to make on Fianna Fáil as well. Um, one of the one of the un, like surprising issues so far in 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 this uh, campaign, um, and it's you know, and, and it's it's as a result of of like the horrific uh, gangland violence that we've seen, but th- there has been. This linkage between recreational drug use and uh, and you know and and and, ga- and gangland activity um, and it's something that is sort of now developing its own kind of momentum within the campaign. Again, we when you had Mary Lou in Ellen this week, you know you, we asked her about what she felt about that 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 issue. We might just listen to that. I think that everybody, people who um, take drugs for recreational use, to use that term. I think you would have to be the most unthinking person not to now pause for thought and say, right, what are the connections here? When you hear stories of the most depraved violence, the, the, you know, dismembering a 17-year-old child, for example, I, I think anybody who takes recreational drugs needs to now pause and think about what they're doing and the possible connectedness of their behaviour with those that are involved in this kind of this kind of um, violence, um, that we might come back to the, that general point in a second. But also, we did hear in the debate uh, and subsequently, you know, people being asked about their their rec- recreational drug use. Leah Varadkar uh, paused for a long, long time uh, before giving that answer. But. Like on on like on that idea, first of all, Mary Lou's idea that you know recreational drug users have to kind of pause. Like, where do you think, like, what res- what what level of responsibility should be put on a recreational drug user for what what is going on, Ellen? Um, I mean, I'm kind of I'm surprised that this narrative took hold so fast, um, that it get, did kind of get down to personals and specifics. Um, and I just think that the way that it's evolved, like there is there is obviously a point there, like, but I think it's kind of the whole argument of trying to tackle crime by ending demand for drugs is fundamentally flawed because ending demand for drugs is not something that you can do in one election cycle or, you know, one news cycle around a really devastating, awful crime mm. or through kind of guilting the public because it is it's so massive and it's so monumental and so much of it in I guess the drug use that's significant enough to keep drug dealers going is so drenched in issues of inequality and education and Mm. access I think it's super simplistic um but that's not that's genuinely not me being like super lefty like I gen I just don't think that putting it down to personal responsibility on the individuals while I understand it's like virtuous and well-meaning I just think it's it's really overly simplistic. Carl, do you think it's a way of avoiding having uh, a more uh, like a, a tougher debate, or like a, a sense where you're actually asking harder questions? I than think the, than it that. is. It, like I, you know, as Alan said, even even if it was, you know, ethically the correct point of view, it still wouldn't be uh, the effective way of dealing with it. I mean, we've tried to shame consumers for drinking Coca Cola, for eating Nestle the meat industry, fast fashion from China and Taiwan, and none of that has ever worked. And it's not going to work for recreational drug use either. You know, like we've seen articles in the Irish Times about how cocaine is now as common as eating, you know, a packet of potato with your pint at a pub. Um, Drugs are everywhere in Ireland. And I think the demand is there. And I think much like all the other 
things that kill us like alcohol and cigarettes and fast food the government needs whomever is in the government uh, needs to wise up and develop an actual policy plan that will see us re- regulate these things in a way that actually takes power away from so decriminalization violence. Yeah, but decriminalization is just one element of it. Mm. I mean, like, regardless of decriminalization, you need to have a situation where young people don't feel like uh, joining a drug gang is a good option. You know, like, there are all sorts of extremely foundational uh, problems at the heart of what ends up being horrible crimes. You know, like, it doesn't, it's it's not that these crimes just come out of nowhere. They're, mm. they're the end of a process, and that process begins with things like poverty, lack of education, and, like, lack of social amenities, and lack of social programs. And, like, I think the fact is that to simply say that, you know, this is down to middle-class people doing drugs is is is, is simplistic, because it's, it's not going, as, while it would be great to see the demand wiped out, and it would be great to see so many people have a change of heart about drugs, that's not going to happen. So but, you but need I think, to have realistic think, yeah, policy goals. I think from, from you know, like the, the, the narrative in this sense is also wrong and Mary Lou actually encapsulated it in many ways because there is, in an awful lot of instances, there is no clear line between a recreational drug user and, you know, somebody who is, in, is thrown, you know, an awful lot of people in addiction, most people in addiction, start as recreational drug users are, are a version of that. People take these things because in whatever they alter their mood. Mm. That is the point of taking them. And then they get locked into, in many cases, a spiral of addiction. So the idea that, you know, you can say over here, uh, and now it's very convenient, especially if you can say there are middle class people at mm-hmm. dinner parties, uh, you know, taking drugs at the weekend. Like it's it's there. Nobody wants to stand up for them. And that's fine. But most recreational drug users, like most recreational like most, you know, if you take it, social drinkers versus people who have a problem with drink, the lines blur and the lines merge and they melt one into the other. And one person's social drinker will be another person's. You, this person has got a drink problem. So the idea that you can separate it and say, you know, you are doing this for recreation and you must stop yeah. at your dependency. Especially in a culture like Ireland's where these things, especially with alcohol, but the same is absolutely true for drugs that people, I, I think people really find it hard to tell whether or not they're addicted. You know, you could have someone who's using recreational drugs more than once a week and they'll tell you that they're not addicted. But I mean, the fact is that their demand is not going to be dissipated just because Mary Lou says just because Mary Lou says no and like and it's and it, to be fair it is it's probably not fair to single out Mary Lou just simply on the fact that like decriminalization has been very slow to we're, we're not there we're not we're nowhere near there and we're mm. nowhere near there like Fine Gael haven't introduced it it's not a huge priority for anyone else but the, um, so. one of the consequences of this then has been this question we saw it again uh, and it's an amazing amazing thing about uh, about everyone who's being asked this question that uh, like with a well, like with, with with a kind of a discipline, but maybe you should expect from politicians. Maybe you should expect this from people who got into politics. But anything they did, anything they did when they're asked to record, it all happened when they were in college, <laughs> and then it stopped. Yeah. And then just the minute they stepped out through, they stepped out with their yeah, with their yeah, cap and yeah, gown yeah. on. They said, "Not anymore, no, no yeah. more. Yeah. <laughs> you won't be seeing this again." Yeah, yeah. And I haven't touched it since. Like, yeah. what is that? What is like? And I would also say that if, if you joined, it, you know, and I and, and the, like, there is a very serious broader point in this. But from the point of view of like, you know, people smoking cannabis, recreational drug like that, if you joined Young Fine Gael in college, that is a far worse thing to do yes, than having yeah, smoked yeah, a joint. Yeah, yeah. Also, Je- <laughs> 
Do you ever notice that this is the only context in which weed is ever referred to as cannabis? It's only... It's so weird. It's so it's jarring. It's smoked so, it's like, cannabis. Yeah. It looks weird exactly. on paper. It sounds Have fucking weird. Have you ever smoked cannabis? And it's, it's just like, so, I don't know. They is obviously that... get something. Like when they graduate, they get their little like politician diploma as well, which is like, <laughs> you say at one point in college, you were walking around as a student with your mouth open, a yes, joint yeah, fell in, yeah, yeah. you inhaled just enough to sound cool in a hot press interview, yes. but not yeah. enough to be yeah. a generous and have your political career dis- destroyed. And the point you made about Fine Gael, like that actually is a true point because if you follow this, like I think this is dumb as fuck asking politicians questions. Ooh. It's so stupid. But the wider problem is it means that the only people you end up with in politics are people who decided at the age of 16 that they wanted to be Ooh. in politics. And those people Dorks. are <laughs> like, you know, maybe there's some good ones, <laughs> but like that's those people are like well, sociopaths. Yeah. Like that's, that's lunacy. <laughs> and to decide from that point on that you're going to filter your life to such a point that 18 years later you might be doing a leadership debate to try to keep yeah. your job it's, as teacher like, the country it's like, it's, it's like Alan Partridge talking to his son saying you know Fernando it's three o'clock in the afternoon you're in bed with a girl you're wasting your life yeah, you know yeah, it's the reverse yeah, of that yeah. They should be, you that's know, they have all be- visited the that's Victorian like, I folly. Want who, I want whoever the Taoiseach is to be cooler than me, you know, so like <laughs> I want them to have done more drugs than I have and the rest of that. Like, you know, like I just I think it's so strange that there would be any because so, it just doesn't reflect real world conversations anymore. Like if you switch on, you know, like you look at Brad Pitt, I think, accepted an award at the Screen Actors Guild the other day and he talked about smoking weed during his speech. You know, like weed has become so normalized in, in the Western world. And to still have this attitude towards it that it's like, not only is it illegal, like not only can you go to jail for it, mm. uh, which I mean, people don't really go to jail for weed, but like not only can you... No politicians you, anyway. Yes, yeah. Not only can you be criminally punished for it, but like it's the... in we have to tiptoe around it in conversation and like even but, like, yeah but that is right, also yeah. the, but that, it is an important point because that is the conversation we should be having breaking the links between these drugs and criminality yeah. is the important is the important thing yeah. to be doing or the suggestion that having done drugs once makes you fundamentally a bad person because mm. that's yeah. the ethos behind all those or questions of politicians culpable for oh a butterfly little, effect that you yeah, know like some, yeah a butterfly effect yeah it's crazy um, and I think it's, again, like, not to call them out too much, but, like, there was a lot, like, several think pieces written about the Taoiseach's reaction to the to the weed question. And most of them did take the, you know, like, I saw one, I think it was in the in the, in the Independent, and it was about, you know, how he, he let down both older voters and younger voters, you know, the older voters by smoking the weed and then the younger voters by not owning it. And it's like, weed is so blasé now that even if you came out and tried to own it, even if he was like, yeah, I smoked a bunch of joints in college, people would still be like, yeah, that's normal. You know, like mm. that, you know, like that is college behavior that everybody partakes in. So like, it is just a thing of, I think maybe the media class and the politician class not really understanding the reality on the ground for most people, which is that drugs are everywhere and that lots of regular people are involved in them. And that if we want to have a safer culture around drugs, then the government can't continue to just ignore that and, uh, you know, have criminal legislation aimed at it. Um, we're going to wrap it up there, guys. Uh, Carl, well done for not Thanks, getting yeah. sick. And, You're uh, going to smoke a joint now. <laughs> <laughs> you only need manage- yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to say that. Um, and Ellen, you know, also well done for attending two uh, manifesto launches today. Uh, that's, you know, I'd beyond. I'd like to say I enjoyed it, but I didn't. <laughs> well, that's good. That's what, that's what we want to hear on this, on this show. You're yes. going to hear the truth about what a manifesto launch is like. And as I say, if you want to know what actually happens in the Mayo constituency stroke constituencies <laughs> you know. please tell us <laughs> please, please <laughs> yeah, let us yeah. know and um, before we go don't forget to subscribe uh, to the podcast and all the usual channels and leave a review if you like the show and we're also on YouTube and we'll see you next week mm-hmm.
I mean the whingers that I hear every week saying there's nothing happening. Well, all of the protesters that I have seen before uh, seem to have extremely expensive phones, tablets, uh, video cameras, and other... Sorry, sorry. It's more like um, a very trendy kind of boutique hotel type place, right? Fuck you, Deputy Stike. Fuck you. There's a very simple false assumption of what you're saying, that I am a wealthy man. I I wouldn't necessarily assume that if I were you. Ask my bank manager. When it comes to Sinn Féin and the rule Tisha. of law Tisha. and public order Deputy and condemning violence, it doesn't take very long for your balaclava to slip. Up the Republic, up the rebels, and it's Chucky Arlo! Control yourself. 